Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Episode 205. 205 is the area code that covers Birmingham, Alabama. In 2005, Wedding Crashers was one of the year's top grossing movies. Russell Crowe pleaded guilty to assaulting a hotel employee and Jennifer Aniston filed for divorce from Brad Pitt. Every movie I see with Jennifer Aniston, she plays the exact same character. I am outraged. This is Rachel profiling. Go, go, go! Welcome to the 205th episode of the Prop G Pod. In today's episode, we speak with Andrew Jennings, a professor of corporate law and securities regulation at Brooklyn Law School. We discuss with Professor Jennings the state of play regarding the Elon Musk Twitter trial. Professor Jennings also discusses the broader state of corporate governance. Okay, what's happening? Today, we're going to try and provide a lesson in management, all thanks to Trump's media group. So some quick background. Will Wilkerson, an early employee of Trump's media company, filed a complaint with the SEC back in August that claims the SPAC attempting to take Trump's media company public relied on fraudulent misrepresentations concerning the attempted mergers between these companies in violation of federal securities law. Wilkerson went to the Washington Post with details on how Trump pressured top employees to transfer their shares to Melania Trump and, in one instance, allegedly fired an employee for not doing so. The Post's exclusive report also notes how Trump's media company has been plagued by, quote, bitter infighting, technical failures, and a chaotic jockeying for power among Trump allies that undermined its potential and left some employees crying at their desks, unquote. Wilkerson has since been fired for going to the Post with unauthorized disclosures. So what's the learning here? So first off, people will immediately start off with this bullshit pushback. Well, well, kind of success speaks for itself. No, success speaks to how wrong this is. Specifically, specifically, if Donald Trump had taken his inheritance from his father and just invested it in the S&P and SPY index funds, he would be worth more than he is now. Donald Trump is a shitty businessman. You're fired. Now, there are probably a lot of reasons why he's a shitty business person, but one of them, or I would argue the key, is he is a terrible manager, a terrible manager. What are the keys to being a great leader in a corporate setting? I think it comes down to three things. First off, you have to demonstrate excellence. People want to know that if I follow this gal or guy, there's a good chance I'll be successful because they will build something that's successful. If you expect to manage other people, you have to develop 
excellence. And sometimes excellence is just attitude, and that is a willingness to roll up your sleeves and do anything that you would ask anyone else to do. Two, you need to hold people accountable. A strategic firing, letting people know when they're not performing. What happens when people, a lot of people cannot perform and everyone can stick at home and walk their dogs or just kind of do barely enough? Then all your high performers look around and think, what the fuck am I busting my ass for? It becomes a lowest common denominator problem. It becomes a race to the bottom. Good managers, good leaders hold themselves accountable and hold other people accountable. And then finally, and I think this is the most important thing, good leaders and good managers show empathy. What do I mean by that? That doesn't mean you need to be Oprah. It doesn't mean you need to be Mr. Rogers. What it means is you say, look, if I'm successful, you're going to be successful. And part of that success will be me figuring out what makes you happy and what you're looking for at work. Not everyone is looking for the same thing. Some people want to manage other people. They get excited by having direct reports. Some people want fame. I get inquiries from Media, occasionally, if I think it would really excite somebody, I say, well, why don't you take this? Some people get a huge thrill out of seeing their name in lights or presenting at the client, whatever it might be. Some people want to be mentored. That's the most important thing to them. Some people are simply put all about the Benjamins full stop. That's all they want. And everybody mostly wants a lot of those things. But if you can reflect, if you can demonstrate that you've gotten to know that person and you are pulling for them, and specifically you're pulling in a sense that I recognize, boss, that you may not want exactly what I want. When I was younger, I thought everyone just wanted what I wanted. I wanted to be rich and fucking awesome. Full stop. That's all I wanted. Those two things, to be loved and admired. Wow, look at that guy. He's a baller. And to have a jet. Not everyone wants those things. Or actually, I think everyone wants those things, but people prioritize different things. Some people want balance. I used to think you could only have an organization where everyone worked 24 by 7. That's just dumb. You're merely screening out a big part of the workforce. But you, you're not going to build a company with all A players. It just it, To think that that happens is a myth. You're going to have, quote, unquote, B players who don't live to work but work to live. And that's okay as long as it's pretty obvious. You're probably not going to make as much money or advance as quickly as the person who's kind of all in. But to think that it's one size fits all doesn't make sense. There's a culture and there's certain norms but your ability as a manager and as a leader to say, I get you and I'm pulling for you. And if I win, you're going to win. I have got your back and you are going to share in my success. And part of that is I'm going to figure out what success looks like for you. And back to Trump. Here are just a few stats from the Times 2019 report. Trump's core businesses, which include casinos, hotels, and apartment buildings, lost money every year between 1985 and 1994, racking up a total of $1.2 billion in losses. Between 1990 and 1991, these core businesses lost more than $250 million each year, which was more than double compared to similar taxpayers. And lastly, Trump lost so much money that he was able to avoid paying income taxes for eight of the 10 years. This guy literally, again, see above the worst business person in the history of the United States. Entrepreneurs succeed by navigating an ecosystem of counterweights. Customers want the lowest price and the highest quality. Employees want you to compensate them at or above market rates. Those two are in direct conflict with each other. And investors want to dilute your stake in exchange for their capital. And the big hand of government is also calloused and slow and also wants their piece. The most formal and obvious counterweight, your boss and the board of directors. Building a company requires that you listen to and balance all of these counterweights. You're essentially a triathlete trying to figure out 
where you're going to focus your energy, where you're going to train, and you have to be great at a number of things. If you want to be in senior management, you have to be good at managing up, managing down, and managing sideways. Who does everybody hate? The guy or the gal that's really good at managing up and is an asshole to everyone to the side and down to them. I worked with a lot of very successful people at Morgan Stanley and big corporations, and one of the things that got in the way from them being the number five or the number four person and getting to the number one was they made too many enemies along the way. Because one attribute of many successful people is they are so used to being the winner. They're so used to being on the gold medal stand all the time from the age of like zero to 45 that they see anyone that is potentially also as good as them as a threat. Not someone they can work with, not a mutual partnership, but as a threat. And they start shitposting and badmouthing them and see it as sort of like a Hunger Games. Those people make enemies. And most CEOs, most CEOs have one thing in common. They've been very good at not making enemies. They're supportive of people. They don't respond to every slight. They recognize occasionally if they get passed over for a position or someone else makes more money than them, they're not going to storm out of the office. Some entrepreneurs achieve enormous success within this system, balancing leadership and consensus. And with great success comes great power, the power to stop, you guessed it, the power to stop listening which often results in a fall from grace and loss of power. What undermines more? What is the Achilles heel of very successful people? They surround themselves, and I won't, I won't even say they surround themselves. Naturally speaking, success is a flame, and you get all sorts of moths who will tell you that you're just a fucking genius and laugh at your jokes. It happens to me. Not a lot. Not a lot. The people I work with are generally irritable and very smart and push back on me a lot. And I appreciate that. It pisses me off in the moment, but it's really important. But over time, very successful people, the natural state of things that the people around them will tell them that everything they do is amazing. And then they become very susceptible to taking outsized risks without really understanding the downside or even acknowledging when things aren't going well. So what's the learning here? What's the learning? One, excellence never goes out of fashion. Two, you need to hold people accountable. Three, you need to invest in understanding people such that you can reward them on levels that they will get the most compensation from. Also, surround yourself with people who are occasionally willing to push back. Do you think any of that, do you think any of that exists in the ecosystem of the world's worst businessman, Donald Trump? We'll be right back for our conversation with Andrew Jennings. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance... 
Who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Andrew, where does this podcast find you? I'm sitting here in downtown Brooklyn, New York. Wow, with all the cool kids. With all the cool kids. I, I'm not quite cool enough to be here sometimes, but uh, here, I, here I am. There you go. So the Elon Musk versus Twitter trial was supposed to take place this week. However, it's been pushed back to later this month. To start off, can you walk us through where uh, this takeover stands today? As of today, the court has given the parties uh, time and date certain uh, by which they are supposed to close the deal. Uh, that's October 28th at 5 p.m., I believe. The court has instructed the parties, particularly Twitter, uh, that if the deal hasn't closed by then, uh, they should send her an email and she will get back to them with uh, court dates in November. So let's assume that Elon Musk... Um short of actually going to Mars, where he recognizes he'd die a slow, painful death, that just behind that is closing on this deal and watching $30 billion evaporate as he pays $45 billion for a $15 billion company worth $15 billion. Let's assume he would like to figure out a way to get out of this deal. What, if any, are his options uh, to exit this thing right now? Well, he's really put himself in a bind. Uh, he, by agreeing to go forward and close the deal, has really destroyed a lot of the justifications, the pretextual justifications in the eyes of many that he spent and his lawyers have spent a lot of time trying to establish over the summer, uh, the issue with bots, the issue with the Zadko whistleblower allegations, et cetera. So he's really, by saying, I'm willing to go forward with closing the deal, uh, destroyed all of that work. Uh, he'd have to come up with something new, one supposes, or perhaps there are various gambits that he might be seen as running. So there's some suggestion in the air that maybe uh, the issue with uh, some of the Ukraine or Taiwan tweets might create concern among the uh, uh, around the U.S. government. Uh, the, the CFIUS review process might uh, lead to regulators just saying, no, you can't close this deal. It's a national security issue. Uh, that gambit I don't think is terribly likely, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily his goal here. But it would really require some outside-the-box thinking on his part in terms of a new gambit to pursue. Perhaps he could do something to try to prevent the the financing uh, from being available. Uh, the commitment letters that the banks have agreed to are pretty pretty solid, however, so that would be a difficult road uh, to, to, to take as well. So it's looking pretty much like he's, he's stuck with the deal that he's made. Can you think of any analogs here or any other cases that can be used as a benchmark for this? I think this is a unique case in a lot of ways. I, I think that Observers of Delaware Chancery cases probably haven't seen a case quite like this since maybe the Disney uh, dispute of, of uh, several decades ago now uh, over the firing of uh, their COO. Uh, that, I think, really pales in comparison to, uh, to this transaction. Uh, in some ways, for social salience, for the cultural and social salience, 
we might look at the AOL Time Warner merger of the late 1990s. That was a successful merger in that it closed. It was a famously unsuccessful merger in that it didn't make a lot of industrial sense. And a few years later, AOL and Time Warner split. And Time Warner has been in a process of splitting up uh, ever since. But in terms of sort of watershed M&A moments, I think this might be uh, beyond that par. Because keep in mind that this is not only about Elon Musk and Twitter, but there's also uh, one of the most prominent EV companies in the world that is uh, implicated here because their their stock is the currency uh, or the the larger share of the currency that uh, Elon Musk will be using to, to make this purchase. So uh, there's a lot wrapped up here. Uh, and then uh, I don't think that there's any Similar M&A case in terms of the global implications and the, the global political implications that this, uh, this merger uh, has, has raised, as we've seen just last week uh, with the, the tweets about Ukraine and, and Taiwan. Yeah, my sense is he's on the green mile. This is, I think he's run out of appeals, if you will, or stays of trying to exit this deal. So let's switch gears. In a recent article for the Duke Law Journal, you examined how enforcement agencies reduce corporate penalties for promises of reform. What did you mean by that? Typically, when the government is investigating wrongdoing at a company, uh, they are limited uh, resource-wise uh, in their ability to investigate the wrongdoing at the company. And so they make several offers uh, to, to companies. These are kind of general offers that are in the air. Companies know that this is available. It's partly codified in, in various policies and guidelines, but it's also in the air as well, that if you company, you help us, the government, with the enforcement process. If you do an internal investigation, if you come forward and tell us something has gone wrong before we find out through other means, uh, we're going to give you some discount on on the penalty that we impose. Perhaps if we were going to give you a billion-dollar penalty and that's what you deserve for whatever it is that you did, uh, we're going to give you a $750 million penalty instead. So you're going to get a quarter-billion-dollar discount for helping us in the investigation process. The government also does that in terms of, well, we don't want you to do it again. And if you do things that give us some comfort or some hope that you won't do it again, uh, then we're going to give you a further discount. And so a company that might say, listen, we're going to adopt certain reforms. We're going to implement a new compliance program uh, that will prevent us from doing uh, the bad thing again. Uh, perhaps that's something that the government will uh, will give it uh, some credit for in the penalty stage. I'm skeptical about how well those promises of reform work, but it is something that the government will do. And how do you, you've written about corporate democracy. How would you or how do you define an effective corporate democracy? The corporate demos is similar in some ways to the political demos. Uh, the the shareholders in a large company are anonymous to each other. Uh, they're disparate. They have different things that they're looking to get. Uh, there's some unity uh, in that uh, shareholders probably are looking to make a return on their investment. They probably have maybe different views of what uh, return on investment should look like, whether it's a short-term return or a long-term return. Uh, so those are some considerations that go into the corporate demos. Recently, we've seen a rise in ESG in which uh, perhaps we recognize that shareholders care more about just making a profit because shareholders have to live in a world, they have to live in a society, and they might care about what uh, companies are doing apart from how profitable uh, they are. So these are some of the 
the tensions that go into the corporate uh, demos. And when we talk about the corporate democracy, I think it's tricky in terms of what an effective corporate democracy is. It, it's probably a, a system uh, that allows shareholder views to be expressed, to be uh, to be manifested in the, the policy of the company. But it's probably not a system that lacks certain of the, the paternalistic uh, protections that might be in place. So a board of directors might want to push back against some democratic impulses within a firm because it has uh, a long-term view or it has superior information as compared to shareholders or to certain shareholders. So in terms of what's an effective corporate democracy, it's as complicated a question as what's a a good political democracy. And as we've seen uh, in recent years, that can take a lot of forms. Uh, Even getting down to how voting is done, that's been a controversial question in our political democracy uh, for a number of years. Uh, Some new voting methods are arriving. Uh, We're being uh, experimented with in some states and localities around the country. Similarly, uh, within the corporate democracy, how voting is done, how many votes per share am I going to have, how are the votes going to be counted, who gets to vote, uh, these are all going to be pretty important uh, questions uh, in terms of just who is elected to a board of directors, who uh, gets to to set corporate policy, how uh, are shareholders able to express their views on the direction of a company. What do you think about the idea of our elected representatives being able to trade stocks? What do you think is the appropriate level of regulation for that? I'm skeptical of the idea of banning all stock trades for a few reasons. I I will always be tempted uh, as a political uh, official uh, to monetize my access, monetize the information I have. And so I'm worried uh, that if we were to ban officials from purchasing things like stock, which are uh, which is something that can be pretty well surveilled uh, and violations can be detected, they might move to more opaque types of investments or arrangements. So that's a concern uh, that I have about whether or not we're going to ban members of Congress or federal judges from, from purchasing um, individual stocks or certain types of, of financial assets. So nothing wallpapers over, you know, sketchy behavior than a bull market. Um, My thesis is we're going to see a lot more legal action and a lot more people in orange jumpsuits if we go into a severe recession. Because just generally speaking, there's going to be a lot more angry people and a lot more pain, which will justify or will inspire much more scrutiny. Uh, Is there any evidence that that is what happened? I would suggest it's probably the opposite. One, if somebody believes, let's think about uh, institutional VCs here. If somebody believes that he's been defrauded and, and these VCs are usually men, uh, there are pretty strong incentives not to say that I was tricked, I was lied to, I gave a bunch of my clients money to somebody based on on false representations. Uh, one, it's pretty embarrassing and people want to avoid embarrassment. Uh, two, it's an awful signal to the market that this is somebody who can't be trusted uh, with your limited partner uh, funds because he, and it's usually a he, uh, has uh, has been careless in the past. And so I suspect that there's pretty strong incentive that even if you think you've been hoodwinked, that's a much harder thing to admit and a much harder conversation to have with limited partners. Are there any situations out there unfolding that you think are going to turn into um, landmark legal cases, or you think that there's a legal case brewing, if you will? I think that we are only starting now uh, to see 
a lot of litigation in the crypto space, uh, particularly in uh, the DAO, uh, the DAO space. Uh, the CFTC has recently brought an action that essentially alleges, and I think aptly so, that DAOs are just general partnerships. And uh, general partnerships can be scary to be in because the partners in a general partnership are uh, individually liable uh, for the debts of the partnership or for the liabilities of the partnership. And so as a general matter, one wants to avoid that default. And there are perhaps a lot of general partnerships out there that people didn't realize that they're in. So I'll be interested to see how that develops uh, going forward. But I think probably crypto litigation will be an area that is really just starting to get going. It raises a lot of tricky questions from a legal perspective about, well, for example, how do you provide notice? How do you serve somebody in the crypto space? How do you enforce judgments in the crypto space? How do you even proceed with the litigation when people are perhaps anonymous, decentralized, uh, scattered around the world? Uh, I think it'll be an interesting area of development. Uh, I don't think there's particularly one headline case that we'll see, but I think it will be a pretty active, active area, particularly as you as you point out. Well, valuations are down. Uh, there are kind of questions. Uh, oftentimes, that's when frauds are, are revealed uh, or other liabilities are revealed. So I do think that we might be seeing more on that front. And any what are what are the cliff notes on when you work for a corporation? and you don't want to have a federal investigator or someone from the FBI or the SEC in your office, any sort of best practices around staying out of trouble other than just being a good ethical person? I, I think it's important that a company have a good monitoring system uh, in place to be able to detect these issues. It's usually best to be in a position to be the company that goes and tells the Department of Justice or the SEC or the EPA, listen, we have a problem, as opposed to waiting until a whistleblower goes and tells them. And, and by the way, some of these whistleblowers are, are very well incented these days financially. So it's best to probably be in a position to be upfront with an issue, probably allows you to control the process uh, a little bit better. Uh, but you want to have good ex-ante compliance programs in place. Uh, that includes, are we setting a good tone at the top? Uh, a CEO who emphasizes the importance of compliance and staying on the right side of law is going to be somebody who influences middle managers to do that. Uh, and middle managers who then uh, echo to their teams, hey, let's stay on the right side of law here. Uh, let's act in a, an appropriate way are going to be people who inculcate those uh, values and behaviors in their teams. So that's something that companies can do ex ante uh, to avoid these types of uh, run-ins with the law. Uh, companies should also be thinking about their compensation uh, policies. Uh, do our compensation policies potentially encourage bad behavior uh, or do they encourage good behavior? So you can imagine if I am required to sell X number of products a week or a month in order to keep my job or to uh, to get uh, a livable wage. Maybe I'm incented to engage in some sales practices uh, that aren't quite aligned with what I should be doing. So guardrails and being transparent about your shortcomings. It feels like that's a pretty decent, pretty decent advice for all aspects of your life. Andrew Jennings teaches corporate law and securities regulation at Brooklyn Law School. His research interests focus on corporate governance and compliance, securities regulation, and white-collar crime. Professor Jennings was previously a lecturer in law and the teaching fellow for the Corporate Governance and Practice Program at Stanford Law School and a scholar in residence at Duke Law School. He joins us from his home in Brooklyn. Professor Jennings, we appreciate your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We'll be right back. 
Support for the show comes from NetSuite. If you own a business, money is often at the top of your mind. How to save it, how to spend it, how much you need, how much you don't need. But simple math will tell you that the less your business spends on operations, the more margin you have to keep the money you've earned. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is a leading cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash prof. NetSuite.com slash prof. NetSuite.com slash prof. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of happiness. So just a word to dads and moms. Uh, I always thought I would have, when my kids are 10, I just assume I'm going to have them for another eight years. And what's become painfully clear to me is that's not true. You have them for about another four or five. And that is at 14 or 15, they develop or they have these natural instincts that say it's time to push their parents away and start um, hanging out with their friends and doing their own thing. It exacerbates it when you make the mistake or you get talked into uh, letting your kid or endorsing uh, your son going to boarding school. I'm now seeing my son one day a week, which is, uh, in a word, awful for me. And I find myself following him around the house because I'm lonely or not lonely, uh, hungry for his attention and want to be with him. And uh, uh, and he's kind of like walking up to his bedroom and I'm following him for no real reason. Uh, so th- no real kind of learning here other than advice. And that is, as you calculate uh, the the tensions in your life and what's pulling you different ways. Uh, it's very easy to put off, well, if I can just get to this position professionally or I have my kid, as you do the calculus and you think about the amount of time you have with your kids, just uh, base it on 14 or 15, because even if they don't go off to boarding school, my observation now, knowing a lot of people with 14 and 15-year-olds, is they kind of go do their own thing. Now, it's not all tears. Uh, watching them develop and watching them get an interest and other people and their peers is a lot of fun and very rewarding in its own way. But again, as it relates to your time with them, just keep in mind that endpoint or that place where the time with them will slow down, uh, that exit is coming a lot sooner than you think. So what do you do? Uh, easy to say, just spend a lot of time with them. Um, I try, I still have my 12-year-old at home. I'll get off this uh, pod and I'll go FaceTime him for no real reason. I'm constantly forwarding him stuff on uh, soccer. Um, I'm doing a lot of virtue signaling right now, but I used to make a lot of excuses and think, oh, I need to, you know, I still got them for a while. And all I can tell you is you just, you literally just wake up and your son's at boarding school and he comes home and he's an inch taller. So anyways, 
Plan against that endpoint of 14 or 15, not 18. That off-ramp is coming sooner than you think. Our producers are Caroline Shagrin, Claire Miller, and Drew Burrows. Sammy Resnick is our associate producer. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to the PropG Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in, or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.